0: hey this is brian uh this is the best of beth schachter uh i was my guest a few years ago before we ever worked together but i have had the privilege for last last year and a half to work incredibly closely with beth she has uh is an executive producer on billions now she helps run the writer's room she she runs the writer's room with dave and me and uh there's another project on which we're working very closely to other projects and i can say I wish I'd gotten to half of this conversation after I'd seen how up close we'd been friends for a long time. But I have to say, it's stunning to me how good Beth is at her job, how smart she is, how much wisdom she has. And everyone who works with her uh, and us is constantly talking about the fact that uh, she's one in a million. And so I'm really glad to share this episode of the podcast again, I'll be back. Some great new guests coming up soon, but for now, enjoy the great Beth Schachter. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today's guest is my real friend, uh, one of my favorite people, Beth Schachter, who is a co-producer and writer on the show Quantico. She's also a writer-director. And I'm a producer-producer
1: now. I just
0: got promoted. Oh, now she's a full producer. a full producer. You're a full producer. IMDb still is lagging.
1: I understand.
0: It's lagging. It says co-producer. It's because they're owned by Amazon. But I know you've already been doing the job regardless. I know. Everyone in the room (laughs) talks about how you're the rock star and you're basically (laughs) help run set and everything, but I'm just saying. No, I know. IMDb's gotta catch up, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, No, advocate for yourself. Start right away. Don't I know, let, right away. Just immediately. Right away. <laughs> just go for it.
1: Let's just fight. How else can it
0: happen? <laughs> I mean, you have to, if you don't, this is a lot of what I want to talk yes. about. A woman in the business, how do you advocate? Yes. That's it. Don't let someone understate your title. Exactly. Say
1: what it is. is. that queen of the universe?
0: You should just say. best actor, <laughs> who's the executive producer and creator of Quantico. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: And also owns ABC.
0: <laughs> but Beth uh, also wrote and directed a wonderful movie called Normal Adolescent Behavior. Has worked on a bunch of other shows. And... Uh, beyond that is um a true connector of people and is one of the most culturally astute uh people that i know and um i'm really excited to get to talk to you because i rarely have people on the show who work on shows but haven't created the show people who are just who are working writers in the business of course yeah and also uh I've noticed this, but it had been brought to my attention by uh, Maria Popova that um, although I'm a, a strong and huge advocate for women's rights, you're I, a feminist. I am. Oh no, she. No one's questioning yeah. my I mean, my like feminist cred.
1: But yeah.
0: But um. But like eighty five percent of my guests are men on this podcast, and a lot of that's to do with the way that the business yeah. is. But but also, I it's really important, especially now. In the world. Yes. Like to just (laughs) really have many more women on the show. I want to thank Maria for pointing that out to me. And um, I'm really glad to have you on the show. And I want to talk about a bunch of stuff. But I want to start with, I saw a status on Facebook the other day. Where you said that uh, you were playing music and your neighbor told you.
1: I was just telling these guys. To
0: turn it down. Yes. And you wrote, um, I still got it. Still got it. It, it really hit me because a lot of what I want to talk about... First of all, what music were you playing?
1: Kick It by Tribe Called Quest. It's my kid's favorite song. <laughs> well, it's one of the great songs of all time. So he's sitting... We can swear, right? We're Say anything swear. you fucking okay. want. So he's sitting on the toilet taking a shit. What and time is this? It's 8 o'clock at night. So it's not that late. That's not Excuse late to me, be I live banging. In New York City. That is not
0: late to be bumping Tribe.
1: I don't know who this fucking dipshit is but anyway so he's sitting there and i as he's pooping he's going can i kick it yes i can can i kick it yes (laughs) so we have to turn the song on because clearly you have to turn the song on and i get here like pound 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 and this guy's like and i even i knew instantly i was like oh he wants me to turn it down also my husband has a concert disease where he can't hear anything because he's been to so many shows and he doesn't put the earplugs in because apparently he doesn't so yeah so we listen to the music very loud and i did turn it down but then I proceeded to play a lot of New Order because I feel like the undercurrent can still play. Like it still vibrates a little. Oh, yeah. You yeah, can yeah, turn yes. down. Feel like and a g- g- g sound. Just yeah. like the little bass. Yeah. I so you start. still had to agitate. Oh, yeah. I you, can't stop. Is your neighbor like really douchey? Here's the thing is I don't know who he is because I am terrible with the people in my building. Most of them are – I live in a, an old tenement building on – Uh, like in the West Village. I don't even give you my address. Yeah, nobody come visit me. Trust me, it's not a nice building. Um, but they—it's the one of the younger people in the building. It's either like twenty-year-old, uh, like finance bros or like ninety-year-old people that smoke a lot of weed. Right. So you didn't know which one it was. was. was Bang, 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 and then I just. But you turned the music down. I did. I turned it down. I know. I'm sorry. But could have fought. But I was like, eh.
0: No there t- are at, no at, at, at your age i think with the kid like yeah. um just karmically turn the music down. Turn the music down. Like uh, because it's probably the right thing to do but uh, I was just thinking about like the when you're in a hotel how difficult that whole thing is oh my god to figure out like when they're having a party in the hotel next right. to you you don't want to be the old person no saying turn it down but you really need your sleep
1: at the same time I also have that thing like from remember from LA story when they're having sex and they're like fucking wall to wall and it's like because you can hear the other person you feel like like I am now obliged to wake up my partner and be like babe I'm sorry these people are having way too much fun we gotta show them how like you cannot you cannot let that card go that's me so I'm like i have both the let's turn the music down and be polite people but also like fuck you you can't have more fun than me right i'm doing it yeah but but i also i
0: what it made me think about is the the balancing act that a lot of people who uh started out wanting to be pure artists or thought of themselves that way have to do which is this balancing act between being a pure artist and being responsible and i've heard you engage in this conversation a lot which is about trying to figure out, and, I, and and I know for you, it ties into questions of like privilege and what one, absolutely, what one can sort of how one can define oneself. Yeah, is something you think about, and you also think about where and when and what compromises to make. Yes. So somebody who starts out wanting to make independent films and is you know on a big hit show writing but but not writing their own not right yeah. thing has thought about this. So absolutely. I wonder how you how do you sort of. Break all that stuff down down for yourself.
1: In terms of, I mean, yeah, in terms of like
0: uh, balancing the that you want to take care of Bash and contribute and do all that stuff, and you're an artist. So yes. how do you balance those needs in yourself in figuring out what you want to do?
1: I have the benefit of I'm blessed with the knowledge of what it is to to try to be an artist because what happened was I made this movie. And then I went to director jail for a while because I, as is clear, as anyone who knows me will tell you, have no edit button when it comes to certain things. And I was being told by rooms full of dudes that I had to change the movie and change the title and re edit it and do this. And I just, I have a low tolerance for people whose job it is to do. Marketing and finance and, and international sales telling me how to tell a story. I'm okay with you telling me how to sell a movie, but you can't tell me how to tell a story. I know how to tell a story. You know how to do your job. It's fine. I, I don't walk up to construction workers and tell them where to put berms. So why don't you not come up to me and tell me how to tell a story? But also I was, I made a movie very young. I made a movie when I was still in school and that was a big mistake. I shouldn't, don't make a move. Don't make your first movie unless you're surrounded by a lot of, people who are going to protect you. And when you're 28 years old, it's just a bad idea. You I was a child. I was just so young. I was so, so young. And so I had that heady sense that I could do anything and no one could touch me. I was, I had no money, so I right. wasn't going to lose any money. I had parents who had money. So I had the privilege of knowing if everything got fucked up, I could go home. You could eat. And yeah, I your could parents. eat. You know, and I had a boyfriend who was working and could support me. So I was so privileged and then I got sent to director jail and couldn't do anything. Literally couldn't do it. Like couldn't get a job, couldn't get a meeting. I would get meetings and you would I would realize I was the woman they were meeting and did not hire. Like you I just couldn't. So wait, get a job. I want to unpack that for yeah. a second. So
0: are you conscious of so you were you're aware of the fact, oh, people wanna feel good about themselves or tell their bosses yeah. that they've done their what they they've checked everything off the list and you felt you were sort of part oh, of a, a rote
1: meeting series that oh, was yeah. happening? Oh yeah, you know, you go into the And it may have changed because obviously the movie business has changed enormously over the past 10 years. You're talking – I've been working for 10 years in the business and – or a little bit over 10 years and it's been that like – that the narrative has changed slightly because movies are becoming smaller and TV is becoming bigger, so it just it's the narrative has changed. I mean, the, movie, the movie industry is becoming smaller. Movies are becoming it. bigger, yes, like they're making exactly. only a few. The bigger movies. The industry has contracted enormously, whereas television has expanded enormously. So you and that doesn't happen in TV as much because TV is a different beast um, because you're painting with other artists, which is the showrunner's job is to take a bunch of artists and paint with them as opposed to an indie film where you are the painter, you are the paint, you are everything, which is really good for someone with a big ego like me, which I would completely The movie thing is. The movie thing. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you want to have a big ego if you do this job. And I think it's important to have an ego and ambition and all those things. So to go back, the idea is basically you would go in these meetings and I would know they maybe met me. There weren't that many, there aren't that many women working in indie film that want to do you know, another movie and don't want to do their own movie. So I was going out for jobs for hire that someone else wrote that someone else wrote or that I was going to rewrite. And I would get called in and I actually got the, the experience of being called in twice cause they had forgotten that they had meet, met me. So that they really called in again. You? Yeah. They, and they actually ended up making the movie and it was a high, I just got, cause it was, I made a high school movie. It was only high school movies, which are terrible to try to get financing for because nobody wants to make them cause the teenagers aren't stars. And the only reason we got our movie made is just a bunch of like, moments that well you wrote i've read
0: that script and seen the movie i mean you wrote a really good script there was i thank you
1: and i wrote a i wrote a script that was entirely mine and i wanted to direct it and then i got to direct it because nobody else wanted to make that movie and no one else had the vision for it which was a great lesson for me but then to then get dumped in the movie industry so then i i went to jail for a while movie jail not real jail. um yeah i was gonna say i want to i want to back up so so you
0: you're you you make this movie and when you're making one of these independent movies, um, often on set you can kind of make the movie you want to make because they don't – if you're the director, you mm-hmm. have – that's when you have the most power. It's very hard mm-hmm. for them to actually stop you once the thing is rolling. Yes. It's your past prep. Yes. I mean, they might shut your day down, but probably yeah. you're going to be able to work through that.
1: And on a 19-day movie, what are they going to do? Right. Like, really? You're making your a yeah. movie.
0: But when you get – to you do your director's cut and then show it to them Mm -hmm. and you don't have final cut on the film, it becomes, uh, it, it can become thorny.
1: Yes. And what happened is I, my now husband, then boyfriend was the editor. So we locked ourselves in a room and basically sort of fell madly in love with each other, working together and fighting. And because that's what you do is you really find someone that you can like argue with. And, you know, with your editor, you have to fight for things and against things and you have to let them show you things and be open, but also be, strident about other things and it's it's a dialogue between you and your editor no i think you're describing a marriage and, your and marriage that's what because we realize
0: is I, was gonna say, I don't have that relationship <laughs> with my editors really but.
1: but what we did realize after that is like oh we could get married now because we know each other and we know that's perfect we've yeah. seen all the dirty dark grossness that we can both be we can see who we are in a room and we can respect each other and work work it out we can work it out we can fight and work it out and then we sold the movie and New Line that bought the movie they just had a different vision. They just wanted to make a DVD cover because it was in the waning days of DVDs when you could actually make money on a DVD, which is I don't does anyone own them anymore? I only own the Miyazaki movies for my kid. That's was literally say, I all I a have. I have a bunch of Criterion DVDs <laughs> criterion. that I still have. And now you can stream them in sort of shitty quality. But it is like that was what happened and so you end up serving a different master and because you took somebody else's money to make your movie and they're making their money back selling the movie. That's the job. So you deliver somebody else's film. All of a sudden, this thing that was yours, you deliver. That was
0: precious. And like, you.
1: And I w- didn't handle it well. I will be very honest. Like, it was not, it's not something where I've met other directors who've handled it better. Well, you've learned. Too. Well, you're a strong person strong who has. a good word. No, you're a strong person who
0: has your, when, when you've made a distinction about the world, like, y- you've thought it through and then that's the way you feel about it. not that you don't take in more information. Yeah. You you do. But like when you have your opinion, you're strong in it. I mean, do you feel, did you feel being a woman? Because you said you're in a room with a bunch of dudes. Like, were you feeling condescended to or were you feeling um i didn't were you understand that
1: it in? at the time i really didn't like again like i i can't express how emotionally young i was when it happened i was just a i was a kid really in every way like artistically and as a because i started in theater and came to film very a little bit well, later yeah, so
0: let's let's back up then um and talk about your, yes your, how you how this you became an, an artist um, as someone who does this and then we'll get there so like you grew up the daughter of a doctor and a scientist yes which
1: doesn't. And a crazy feminist. My mom was a crazed, uh, true blue feminist. I got Our Bodies, Ourselves, and this book called The Women, which is a oral history of the four most important women in feminism. I think when I was like nine. So f- feminist, you know, I wore ERA buttons to school and not even knowing what it means. Where'd you grow up? In, uh, Ohio and Connecticut. So very suburban. And, but really, um, working my mom, my, my mom went back to work when I was three weeks old. She really had a, she had a career. It was not a job. She was someone who was committed and whose identity was very tied to her career and not as tied to her children. And that was a really beautiful thing to be raised by because you end up realizing that you can have your own identity. It's not that she didn't, I mean, she loved us enormously and, and raised us with, abs- with energy and passion, but we were not her identity. And that meant we had to have our own identity. And that that was the biggest gift she gave me as a parent is to say, you're not me. And you don't owe me anything in your identity. You're your own person. It's how how you deal with your kids, which is they're your kids, but they're their own people. And you got to start there.
0: Yeah. You have to just look at everything through the prism of what's best only just what's best for them. For them. Yes, really, not
1: for you. And it's so hard. You have, I mean,
0: it's so difficult to do <laughs> you because wanna, your ego is so tied up in yes. them because, you you know, your love for them. Yes. You want what's best for them. Yes. And you, but you really have to separate what's best for them and what is it that gives you some endorphin rush. Yes. You have to separate
1: that. Oh my God. It's you, like you go to school, you apply to schools and you're like, oh, you got into the good school, but it's not good. We just had this. We got into this great school in New York and I was like, he's going to suffer there, but... A little part of me is like, I got into the good school. Like, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, as long as you, I, I say, as long as
0: if if somebody parents with some intention, they've yes. already they're like, so many people don't have the time in their lives even to think about it. That's one of the things yeah. that I think I'm the, been the most sort of lucky about. It's just that Amy and I, because because we work doing things that we love, because I've been fortunate to be successful. Like I've had the time to think about parenting in yeah. a way that is a, an incredible luxury.
1: It is. And I think you, when you have two parents or one parent or four parents, however many parents you have who have lives that they enjoy, even if they're difficult and full of strife, which all of our lives are, and your kid sees that, it becomes part of their identity. And then they strive for that. And so that their ego is the thing that you're raising. I just want to raise a kid that has, I don't mean ego, like I want to be a star, but like that center self, you just want his self to be, I want my kid's self to be true and, and have a direction and for him to know it and for him to follow it, which is really what an artist does, but it's also what a scientist does. It's also what, you know, my mom looked at science like art, which is you have an idea you it sits in your brain you think about it you imagine it you give yourself space you question it you say it out loud you challenge it you ask other people to challenge it and then you try it and that's how science works it's not a it's an art form science is an art form it's an art form with rules the same as ours is but it's an art form and that's so I really learned it from her and she was also a um secret writer and really wanted to be a writer. So yeah. I also became a writer because it was what she wanted to do when she grew up.
0: Well, yeah. Wait, I have so many questions about what you just
1: said <laughs> it's awesome. Like,
0: so were your dinner table conversations, I mean, the thing you just talked about, the way your mother went about prosecuting her job. Yeah. And I know you've written about your mom a lot and yeah, all yeah. that stuff and yeah. very and lost your mom too young yes, and all, my that, mom all, cancer. That, all that stuff.
1: But the irony of having an oncologist dad does not yeah, it's fun. It's good. You can't right, really put you, that in a TV show. No, you to you <laughs> your mom.
0: and I know. Yeah. Uh, what she meant to you, but were you spoken to like an adult at an early age in a way and and in, in enlisted in these conversations? <laughs>
1: It's, we grew up, so my mom's first jobs, first research jobs and first work was, she's an immunologist. So a lot of it had to do with AIDS. So we grew up, you know, late 70s, 80s. That was my dinner table. So it was, what is this disease? How is it affecting people? How can we disseminate it? What is, you know... What are all these scientists doing? And the scientists would come to your table and they would talk about it. But it was really about what did this paper say? Well, I challenged that assumption. Well, what does this paper say? And there was no, nobody asked us our opinion on our lives. But if you could speak up and ask a question, you were in, the t- you were at the table. So for me, it was the challenge of can I be at the table? Can I, and there was no TV. What do you mean there was no TV no TV in our house? you grew up with none No, we no. had TV, so we had TV, my parents had cable TV in their room, but and we were latchkey kids, which I guess do people still do that? Yeah yeah, is that allowed now? like it's not illegal, right? Because we were latchkey kids. we walked home every day and let ourselves in and from I mean three some people, to yes, six, people, so yes, there are people still definitely yeah. li- live like that. Yeah, you can't yes. call child protective services on me now because I'm a grown-up, so right. fuck it. Uh, I was a latchkey kid, so we would come from home. like what age? Um, you, third and grade, sis- second, you and your, my, my you and your sister, my little sister, we only one grade apart. Right. Um, second grade, I guess second, second, third grade, we'd walk the three blocks home. We would turn on the TV and we would get a bowl of ice and put it on the back of the TV. So my dad, when he would come home, would put his hand on the back of the television to make sure it wasn't hot. Cause tube television. And if it wasn't hot, then we were okay. So we had a, we had a system. So we watched, you knew how to
0: cool off the TV. Oh
1: my God. Totally. And the only TV we were allowed to watch was Sunday. And that was like Muppet show and...
0: Not Davy and Goliath. Please tell me you weren't watching. No, 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 no,
1: no. When we were kids, it was I. They're great. As you know, it's like you're talking about MTV. Like all we did was watch MTV. It was like because I watched I
0: watched a lot of Davy and Goliath before I realized that it was proselytizing. Oh. No, I didn't was, realize it was a show that was processed. No, it was a lot of, it was, so it was I, the,
1: the, the, the astronaut and the MTV and the flashing yeah, yeah, sure. and, uh, and loader. And I, you know, I, we just grew up on MTV. That was the only thing in our yeah, house. You're a generation and, younger than I am. So. Uh, so, but that was the thing that was. What oh, wait, so how
0: would you, how would you. Make sure he didn't know the TV was that you'd watch the TV. We put
1: the ice, so you put the the, the you put a you'd put do. a dish towel on and a bowl of ice, and we would have some. And like you knew what time they were coming home, so you would be watching for the driveway, and then they, he would pull in the driveway, you turn off the TV, you would put the ice away, you put the bowl away. I don't, I think my dad still has no idea. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he has no idea that we did this
0: that you were scamming TV. Oh my god,
1: scamming so much TV! And then what ended up happening is my the reason I really love television is my mom would let me watch TV with her on, so you're talking like late eighties, like the prime China beach, 30 something years. And that's my formative television. Those two shows are like the shows for me. Right. And my so-called life, those, those three.
0: So fun. the late eighties was the time that, that I watched the least television in my life. I think because I graduated college in 88 and I was working and you know, I was in the music business. So like I was out, yeah, all night every night. Yeah, you're not at home. There was just no. I basically yeah. watched NYPD Blue was the only television show. Oh, it's, that I watched.
1: It's and I gotta say, it's funny we were Which just I guess maybe about
0: I don't know what years that was. Maybe that was like probably ninety one. Actually, yeah, that's
1: early nineties. Yeah, early
0: nineties. I think, but yeah. like
1: thirty something ER, thirty something ER, China Beach. My So-Called Life, you're talking about four shows that literally you could turn on right now. I've been yeah. re-watching ER for- I did watch reason. ER.
0: No, no, I watched ER. I did watch that show, but I think that was 90s, 90s. That was
1: 90s, 90s. But I did China watch- But China Beach is perfect. That. China Beach mm. is a perfect show. I don't know how- I've
0: never seen even an episode.
1: You, I haven't seen even a scene. Everything about it, and it's so female-driven. It's so beautiful. John Sackert-Young, I don't know, like, I don't know why- people don't talk about how great that show was it won all the emmys oh oh, oh i'll tell you that i'll watch it but the, the 80s show sorry i don't think i've mentioned this yeah, show yeah. enough on the, i don't
0: think i've mentioned this enough on the podcast but absolutely because like i always talk about the things that are um the 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 things that made me want to do this f- for my life or yeah. the, the shows that meant that much to me but the, the most to me but wise guy which was when i was still in college right. that was like 86 87 so, uh, Wise Guy, which was the show that had these arcs, and Kevin Spacey became famous from this show. He played a character called Mel Prophet. That was the last show that I watched. I watched Wise Guy, and then nothing until the 90s, essentially.
1: That's amazing. Movies, I wrote, yeah. just movies.
0: But that was movies, my TV show, right. Wise Guy. But you would have been, like, in junior high school.
1: Well, so. and it's also, like... So, it was all TV, and then I went to college, and it was all... Then, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my God, movies and theater. And so, then it just became, like, that was, well, like, well, the thing right, that came So, but when
0: you were a kid, were you... I'm always interested in people who become writers, what they were like and like sort of the, how they interacted socially. So you obviously, your childhood was different than the other, a lot of the other yeah. kids. So
1: what, were I you an a, oddball
0: or were you a cool, like I was cool? I'm
1: a weirdo. I mean, I've been a weirdo my whole life. We, I think we all are a little bit weird, but um, I was a weirdo until sophomore year in high school. And then I was a bad kid for a few years. I, I went. What does that mean? I was kid? like a nerd. I was the nerdy kid who like asked for extra homework and didn't like, I had very, and then I figured out that I had boobs and that boys liked those. And then for three years, I just was a parent's nightmare. And actually, when I had was pregnant, I was like, please be a boy. Please be a boy. Cause if I'm a gr- if I get a girl, I'm You're so going to, the fucked. revenge I'm is going to so happen. You right. just know that's the way karma works out. I'm probably going to still get fucked over by it, but at least no one can come home pregnant. I, I was bad. I was. Let's just say I was bad. There were police, and there were drugs, and there were boys, and I was making terrible decisions and doing all the drugs. The good news is, <laughs> is that by the time I got to college, it was done. I just did three hard, dumb years. And did your parents notice? Oh, right my away, God. like quickly? Oh God! And what's so funny is you think you're so smart, like because I was also well because you figured
0: out the ice and TV thing, so oh, you could probably God, cover you think this you're like up.
1: Like a fucking genius. You're like, I'm gonna come home, like. Just like rolling hard and boy hickeys. and like and right. my parents are gonna have no idea what I was doing and reeking of booze and uh, sneak upstairs and my parents knew the whole time and they're to their credit and I, I don't know what I would have done had I been presented with me to their credit their rule was as long as you are safe and you don't drive and right. you don't get caught we can't really stop you um, interesting that we led you can. Sort of guide you, but we can't. The more we can try to control you, the less controllable you'll
0: be. Interesting. That kind of let you burn through it in a way more quickly than if they were putting up a certain kind of resistance.
1: I think I might have stepped in a little sooner on a couple things, but I'm glad. I'm glad I did. I mean, look, I look back and I'm like, listen, I'm glad I'm alive and nobody. I didn't die and nobody assaulted me. I, I I got lucky. You've no. I mean, like you think about it now, I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a fucking idiot.
0: Well, we all do certain oh dumb things God, when we're young. So
1: dumb, so dumb. But you know, well, I will you have say that people didn't
0: weren't really aware in the same ways yeah. na- that you yeah. are now of the risky. B- I mean, I would. I mean, just think about that. like um, we would ride our bicycles oh, uh, yeah. everywhere. So even that's like hard to imagine letting your seven-year-old just go. All right, I'll see you in three hours oh, and just God. ride their bike wherever they want. Well, I mean, I would just ride my bike as far as I could go.
1: That was alone, yeah, with no phone and oh yeah, no anything. No, it was until I was in high school. It was. Put a book in my back pocket, ride my bike as far as away as I could, and read in a corner in the woods somewhere. That was my whole like. I had a couple friends that we would do the same thing. We'd all ride our bikes. And what read were you books. reading? Uh, everything. I have a I have a voracious appetite, and I'm blessed with being able to read at lightning speed. So it was a lot of Stephen King. It was a lot of. I think Essie Hinton was the first – The Outsiders was the first novel Do you I communicate read. with her I, on Twitter? I'm a little stocky, so I try to like – I try to simmer it down. It's like Amy so Mann. She, after now, you introduced me to Amy Mann for 10 seconds. That was seconds. one of my favorite things ever, It's yeah. 10 seconds. I'm like, do I just remind her every day that she kind of met me and we know each other? No, probably not.
0: That's one um. of the great <laughs> things about – I mean, about – like that was really – Yes, when I, when I had Amy Mann on the thing, I called Shacks and I was like – because she was working nearby and I knew – and i was like you can come I'm come a over dork. and say hello
1: i'm a dork there are people that i'm a yeah. dork about there are people that her I new album is like her best her album, album since whatever
0: it's incredible what's
1: amazing too is this and no this is total sidebar but that she decides to come in the middle of a song and let you think about what the beginning of the song could be is like a lesson in editing that like and musical editing and how you think about music like so a couple of those songs are just like they're they're pieces but they're fully it's the craziest thing i know this album
0: i it's so rare i mean i think she's 56 years old to do a work of art like that yeah at that age yeah and and i mean the the album whatever is one of the great albums in my lifetime and i think this album is every bit it's equal which is a crazy thing but uh, sorry Sorry, i'm a sidebar that's great sorry no, I was. So well, I was asking about Essie Hinton, yes, which is who's on Twitter, and it kind of My freaks me. She and I know each other now on Twitter. We communicate, yeah, yeah, but it's crazy that she's on there. So have you communicated with her?
1: I have a little bit. Like we've like I've been like I tweet to her and she'll tweet back every once in a while. But like I don't. For me, like that's a precious like. Oh, I, I couldn't sure agree I could. with you more. The Outsiders changed all of it changed, our lives. Yeah. The it was the book, it, not the movie. The for book. Me. The movie for me was a lesson in filmmaking later and I still own the movie and watch the movie and yeah. for me like a movie in scope like that and Cinemascope like that is like you can't it's a great lesson in how to shoot a film, um but the book for me was the first time I remember reading a book and forgetting the world. It's got that off switch moment. I agree. And that's that so it was a lot of that and it was a lot of like just whatever was around. So I lot I read a lot of books I wasn't probably wasn't supposed to read. I read all the Judy Bloom books, then I read all the Judy Bloom adult books and every all the um John Updike that was on my parents' shelf. I just I can't I have like an addiction so i'll just take a book and read it in a day and and so for me it was just constant input of words and language which was great but stephen king was huge that was like to the big me, to me yeah. too
0: no to me that too was like, i mean that was um i read every single one yeah. up until to- through tommy i read every single one um i i
1: have to say i got 100 pages into mercedes man and stopped because i felt the novel was over and i and i have to go back like i've de- i decided I, where the novel was ending i, I don't read them I as as uh I, I the last
0: one i read was uh, 11 Mm. you know uh 2363 that's beautiful that's a beautiful piece of Um, writing
1: he still has more talent to put in putting a sentence together than anyone working for me like for me he knows how to make a sentence work that i said that with a terrible sentence structure. his ability to make a sentence work beautifully without being obvious is phenomenal he's
0: one of the you know he's a great a great master and uh informed the storytelling informed the way Generations of people oh, yeah. told stories. But so when you were doing all this reading, did did you think to yourself, I'm gonna do this?
1: No, because i remember- what was
0: your like what were you thinking? What did Beth Schachter oh, at I that would- time think she was gonna
1: be doing with her? Probably life? like a lawyer or a politician oh, really? or somebody that like lots of writing and arguing, clearly. Um, and then I got to high school and a couple things happened. One was um, we, I had an amazing theater teacher, a guy named Dick Wheeler, who runs a program called Odd Fellows Playhouse in Connecticut that does a lot of puppetry. When and when was this? At what point in, in Connecticut? Life? I was, I was in high school, in right. sophomore high school. And I met, he was our theater teacher and he were, uh, came from Bread and Puppet, which is this incredible program in Vermont that does these huge puppets. And he was doing Greek tragedies and we did Antigone and that was life changing for me. And then, um i read i started reading 80s lit like i found there was that weird thing in the 90s where 80s lit kind of came back in like so it was what like tamajanowicz and, and jay McInerney. Yeah. yeah and so for me tamajanowicz and jay McInerney, i was like huh something's here like i don't know what this is but this is a voice And it's a story, and I recognize all the people, and I recognized everybody in less than zero. So I I knew all those people. So for me, that had like a something was happening there. And then I went to Kenyon, and I got cast the first day in a play. And by that time, I was like college in college. By the time I was a freshman in college, I was like something's here, and I don't know what it is. So I'm just gonna like play in the sandbox and not get a degree in anything i told my parents i was going to get a degree in right so i got a degree in theater and religion because they had the best books religion had the best books like that's what i'll say about if you if you want to major in something where you read the best stuff major in religion They're the best writing yeah because you're reading, i mean i was an english yeah, major the yeah. pretty good
0: books in that too yeah it's but it's, it's like know, the best yes. if
1: you're going to read nonfiction, then so you know it was theater and that, and that was really it for me is and then i moved to new york the second i graduated
0: Well, yeah, I want to ask you about the New York years because you've written to me <laughs> and I've read you talk about the New York years, which I know were crazy.
1: They were. Mud Club and so forth. Yeah, but, um, I was a bad kid and then I got to New York and had no money. And I mean, I, it's funny because I say that, but here's the truth. My parents, my grandparents moved here, uh, emigrated here in the early 1900s. They were very successful. My dad's parents, they were very successful My grandfather emigrated. My grandmother was second generation, I should say. They were very successful. Um, They own an apartment on Ninth and University, which we still own. So for me, moving into New York was free. And without that, nothing would have happened. I am the privilege and the the shoulders I stand on – I cannot tell you yeah, how. Yeah, I'm so
0: glad to hear you say it. I mean, it is true. There's
1: nothing more. I, I My parents didn't give me any money, but they gave me a place to live rent-free, and that was all I needed and you didn't to make it happen. you didn't have to pay for college. I didn't have to pay for college. Yeah, Those I always talk things? about, that's
0: a gigantic, that is a, an enormous advantage in life. I obviously had the same advantage, yeah. and like, uh, I mean, I got lucky enough that I could, because of, you know, I had yeah. success when I was very young. So I was able to buy an apartment, but like right out of college because I had a free thing happen to me. But my, the fact that I got free college, yeah, I always think about it. I think about it so often because it guided my, the fact that I had no debt yeah. allowed me to just say, well, I'm going to do what I want in yeah. life. Like I'm going to work my ass off. And I tried a lot of different things before I figured out who I was at 30. um, And I always worked so hard and rigorously, but I didn't have this monkey. I didn't have this thing that I had to satisfy. And that is a giant
1: separator. It's a huge, and it's, it's, if we could give everyone that, I would be so happy. I'd be so, you do what you want with my taxes, like give everybody a college education. It's the ability to go to school and just think about school and just think about your brain. Not have to take
0: a job. Like, so I was at school and obviously I was doing other things. I was producing music. I was doing other stuff. But to have those four years, mm. to, to do that without thinking about having debt. And just uh, thinking about thinking
1: pr- and becoming a critical thinker is, if everyone could just get that opportunity, I'd be so happy. It's just, it's I agree. It's a blessing. And I, I, I am so grateful and I'm so aware of what that does to someone and what that gives you. And I will say there is something, I'm circling way ahead, but go. when you when you go into a writer's room, the people that are often there are people that have had that advantage and that is one of the reasons that I like when rooms don't reach out to people that are a little bit different. When they do, reach when out. they do reach out and they have a different voice in there, because we do homogenize based on a, a level of education, and it's it's a homo, it's an homo, homogenizing factor that I think changes the way television is written.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a shared basket of cultural references yeah. that you have if you were able to go to certain schools, read certain books. Yeah get exposed to certain music culture it, I there's this fantastic episode of reply all where they talk to uh, somebody at, I think who worked at Google an engineer, he was like one of the only African American uh, engineers at Google. And then he st- went on this mission and, and they talk about, the value of diversity. The yeah. value of so instead of framing it as let's do the nice paternalistic thing for the person who's the outsider and didn't have the advantage, what they talk about is the the limit, the incredibly uh, uh, limiting factor mm-hmm. of a, a bunch of people having this the same references the same experiences and in fact you're not doing it's not the way to think about isn't i'm doing a nice thing for these people the way to think about it is that entire other set of beliefs references experiences benefits the whole in an enormous way and And our discomfort with it as a culture absolutely uh, our discomfort with with the fact that it is something that if we could just uh it, our, our discomfort leads us to as you say these homogeneous yeah. work uh working environments and people with whom we work and in fact it limits us tremendously
1: well and you take someone like to me like Eric Heiser is a perfect example there's a guy who is he wrote clearly, arrival he wrote arrival we know him he's clearly a brilliant human being who didn't go to college and got a job and worked in aerospace and figured out what he wanted to be and his experience and his way of working through the world is so evident to me in that movie that I went back. Cause I, I know Eric and I know, uh, you know, I've hung out with him and that's, but we talked a little bit about his, uh, growing up and not going to college the last time I saw him. And I went back and watched the movie. And what you realize is without that experience of being slightly other intellectually above and yet not above. Of and yet not of. He never would have been able to write that character, that beautifully written female character, with the kind of passion that he did. It really is specificity again, like, and, and the passion. Specificity, it's my a, favorite
0: movie of last year,
1: for truly, sure, for me,
0: that was my favorite movie. Truly,
1: and and the talent that it takes is informed by your experience, and that's part of why we well, like he's, writers. He's, rooms.
0: He's, he's uh, Promised to come on the podcast Eric, the next come, time he comes come on, through Eric. New York, yes, which I think is going to be in in, be great. in June. So we've <laughs> yes, I love her too. Yes. But uh,
1: my favorite whiskey friends.
0: He has said uh, that he'll come on the pod, and I'm um I'm sure that he that he will. I want to go back to one thing, which is yes. you quickly mentioned the Holy Trinity of uh, mid '80s writers: Tim oh. Janowitz, Freddie Nelson, Jay McInerney. And I, I would say, I'm not sure all those books last but a friend of mine just texted me three weeks ago and said um hey a friend who didn't come from comes from an entirely different cultural background than than uh we do and a whole different set of references a, a friend who's a, a, a an evangelical christian was, uh, oh, wow. was raised that way and is that way still and wrote me and he was like hey um i just read bright lights big city what do you think of it and uh, I wrote back, like, that book is still a masterpiece. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I'm blown away by yeah. it. I'm. I, and, and I would say, if you're listening to this and you're younger than, you know, I am, uh, and you, you're like, oh, that sounds like this moldy 80s thing. It's not. That book's like a masterpiece and really worth reading. I think it's the the, the best of all those that were written too. at that time. I think it is, too. The
1: other one, the one that I really wonder if it holds up, and I was actually thinking about getting it again, is uh, Shampoo Planet Copeland. I just don't know Douglas Copeland. Does that still? I don't know. It's funny; those books were just of a moment. I know that me. um the, was, the
0: next like the the next little one of those was um mystery of Pitts mysteries of Pittsburgh, of Pittsburgh that and was and Emperor me. of the Air the oh, Ethan Canaan yeah. book and the Ethan Canaan. and, and Ethan Pam Kane. Houston's book they all came out kind of in the next couple of years. Yeah. Cowboys are my weakness. Those books and um. Those all I think But that, that hold moment
1: up. in time in the 90s. Jesus'
0: Son still holds. Oh Jesus' son is so if good. If people haven't read Dennis Johnson's Jesus' Son, you gotta oh, read that book.
1: And then go see the movie because it's a beautiful movie.
0: The movie's really good. It's, the not, the, it's not the Well, it's not the equal of the No, it's not the same. Uh, but it's it's it's,
1: it's, it's got one of the one of my favorite performances in the world. Um Billy
0: Crude Crudo. Oh yeah. yeah
1: he's, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, no, those those books, that whole moment where books and again. I I'm sure had I been ten years older, or ten years younger, it'd have been a different set of books. But these books that felt like I could know these people and I could be in their world, but I was also diving into an entire time and place was just yeah no crazy. I mean, it was just it was huge for me. All that right, was really right. a so. So you come, to,
0: you go to college, you do theater. Yes. You think to yourself, I'm gonna, I'm going to work in the theater.
1: Oh yeah, no, I was like, I'm going to go make theater, like theater, theater, like re. Yeah, no, I, like yeah. I wasn't going to make like. I wasn't gonna go to Broadway. I went. No, you like, were
0: like gonna be like no, breakfast too
1: mainstream. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. My big project when I came. <laughs> so My big project that I came when I came to New York is that I wanted to do an adaptation, a high school adaptation of Antigone using football players, and I wanted to do an entire production of Glengarry Glen Ross with twelve-year-old boys. Yeah, those well, are people my have tried. You know, people have
0: tried the mammoth thing, but the he mammoth mammoth won't
1: allow people. Kids. Yeah, no, he won't.
0: He would not allow people to switch the the genders. I like guess yeah. you could do it just playing those characters. You could have a woman, he couldn't stop you from having a... well, I guess he can give you the I don't know how that licensing he can't, thing yeah. works. I
1: just thought like to have a twelve to have twelve to have kids do Glengarry Glen Ross would just be the best thing ever. Because it's so the point is that they're children. So if you just had I mean, again, I was 20 still funny so though that would have been the it, best it a i mean someone should have done that in
0: rush i mean rush yeah. that would have been a great <laughs> been one great of those little, exactly. little little bits but <laughs> but so how does it happen you you come here there's there's a whole other thing i wanted to ask you about which i'm, I'm going to i'm going to yes. stop for a second and, and like detour because as you're talking about all this stuff and the way you apprehend these cultural things books movies mm. i know we could do this about art too yeah. one of the things that your friends The big benefits of being your friend is we get to take advantage of the fact that like you have the best taste in everything. So I'm but what I'm really interested in is how did how did you develop like your cultural taste buds? Like was it conscious? Was there some practice that you had? Like some people, you know, go through and they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna go learn about impressionist art now and I'm really think about it and sort of get my opinion. Like, how did you form this prism through which because you are the person that someone will call for like, hey, what's the best small hotel in San Francisco? But right. also like Hey, what's your favorite record that came out in two thousand and four? Right, and I'm I, you know, people. I've seen many people ask you like, I need to buy a gift for someone. I know you don't know them, but here's what I'm thinking of. And then right. you always know exactly the right gift. Like wh- it's an amazing skill set you have to of understanding what's great in all these different sort of cultural forms. And I, it's obviously something that matters to you. It does. It's not a coincidence. No. So how
1: did that all like how would you develop all that? I'm a vampire. You I just get, no sleep. That's No it. no no no. It's no. I literally you I suck it all. everybody that I come in contact with, I steal from. I I'm a th- a thief is a better word for it. I'm right. a thief. Like right now, our showrunner and show creator Josh Safran has the best musical taste in the world. For and he does. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of music, which means every day I get a new piece of music from our music supervisor which means I am Wait, more encyclopedic about music than I am. Oh my god! Well, M- more than me. Maybe because Broadway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Broadway. Sure. So. So and because I feel challenged right know, now. You should. You should. I'm you a, should little be a little uncomfortable. It's I'm it's a little day bit day. uncomfortable. I, I still I would still come to you for like you know rock and roll like okay I feel but better. It, feel you better. made me feel, feel a little better. Bit better. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like the fact that I can just basically steal all this like I missed Margaret Glaspie. You did. I miss Margaret. Glassby. I didn't math. Uh, see? I didn't. See? Mi- I did not miss her at all. I missed it. So, you know, sometimes you just miss an artist and they oh. just they go right by you. So I didn't know. So a couple weeks ago, he was like, "How do you not know Margaret Glassby?" Now it's the only thing I listen to. So it's like I'm a I'm a thief. A right. B. Um. I have. Probably. I don't know if I don't think it's ADD. I just I require a lot of input at all times as you can tell. But
0: you also, but I think the thing I'm asking about is so, okay, I understand the so like a lot a of people hoard, yes. but this is something else. I'm a uh, cultural you have this hoarder. Incredibly, yeah, but I, I okay. But, but um, I also- You're also, it's interesting, right? Because you're not somebody who uh, doesn't understand the things that she's great at or, or is not willing to talk about it, but you're this area, you're, you're being modest. Modest? But the, but the thing, yeah, because here's the thing. What I'm really interested in is how you develop this critical faculty you have, which is you are able to, when you do all that hoarding and listening and watching and thinking about, you do separate the weed from the fucking chaff. Like you're really good at going, this is good and this is bad.
1: I guess here's what I will say is I stopped, this is going to sound so pretentious, I stopped questioning why I liked something and just started liking things. And I, I did that early enough. And I think that's a gift of being in this city when yeah. I'm in my well, 20s. Comfortable in your own skin somehow and, and not... Skin. And also the gift of being, I, I don't know, of being... Was- I don't know what it is, but it's. I stopped questioning why I liked things and I just started saying... Because I think sometimes what happens is people say, I like this, but it's not cool. Like... Uh-huh. Francis, this that song by Francis, not a cool song. I think it's in the Fifty Shades Darker soundtrack. Right. It's a fucking great song. And Say you didn't again. care. Yeah, you don't care. I don't care. fucking care that it's a piece of... I, it, that's, I don't care that Demi Lovato is laughable. I like Demi Lovato. I like Taylor Swift. It's like if you stop challenging... Don't, don't compare
0: them. They're no, entirely I know, different. They're not, Taylor entirely Swift's a different. great artist, but no the bottle a singer it's totally
1: different it is but it's but yes. I, I i'm okay but I get it. I get liking it yes it. and i think what happens sometimes is that we're so worried about being cool mm-hmm. we're so huge worried, this is huge so worried that that what if i like something and someone doesn't like it and i learned very quickly that the best thing you'd be is like okay and i think that to me was the great gift yeah of,
0: not caring about being cool in that way is an enormous yes. enormous thing
1: and i don't remember when I know that's not true I do remember when it happened I remember what where I was in my life and I was I was living here and I was going to school I was going to grad school I was in Columbia and I was realizing with a friend of mine we were just having these very long talks um he's an actor and and we I you know we would just go walking everywhere and I realized that If I could just let go of being cool and accepted, I would totally have everything at my fingertips and not be embarrassed about liking what I liked. And that became like the saving grace. Because then I can say, I want to make a movie that references Cocteau and Cassavetes, but also references James Cameron. And there's no difference because I like all of them. I think it's okay that I – The Abyss is one of my favorite movies, I'm not going to, you know, like I don't need to challenge my own tastes because they're my tastes. And if you stop editing for coolness, everything's so much easier. Do you know how much space that takes up in your brain? I referenced The (laughs) Abyss the
0: other day. I referenced the Michael Bean. I referenced Michael Bean going crazy at depth in the other day and compared it to Trump.
1: Um, We talk about that movie a lot because to me, The Wedding Ring is the perfect, I'm not going to spoil it, but if you watch the movie, The Wedding Ring in The Abyss is the perfect um prop storytelling t- like we I, I to me that's the that's the epitome of how television i think work.
0: that movie is like probably flawed but i uh, i love it anyway i love it like anyway. i i remember seeing it in the theater and being just you know he's a super genius i mean he's a super genius but you do have the ability to deploy the iconography and language of cool like you li- you do, it's an interesting kind of like dichotomy that yeah. you're talking about. It's different. It's like a post-cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I think I don't like to think of things as being cool or not cool. I just, if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. It's okay. If you and I don't like the same thing. Yeah. It's okay. Not yeah, everybody. You're comfortable being wrong. I'm okay No, wrong. <laughs> no but I don't I, look. I am too. But, I'm uh, yeah. I, I don't like the Grateful Dead. I understand that people love the Grateful Dead and think it's amazing. I don't like the Dave Matthews band. Anytime anybody has a jam band, my skin starts crawling.
0: I think you're right about one of those and wrong (laughs) about one of those. But uh, here's the thing. It doesn't matter which. Uh, I could make you a 10-song dead tape that you would like. Because I hated the dead. You would
1: only be the 87th man. I hated the the dead.
0: I was totally wrong. One of the great regrets of my life not not like um, a yeah. real like one of the great sort of cultural regrets of my life is i probably had 10 opportunities to see jerry and i never did and then after he died like 5 years after he died i suddenly realized why he was great and i like now know and i love jerry garcia but i and i'm i so regret not having gone to see him and maybe one them. day maybe one day I never out. liked the dead i didn't but now i could i could make you the tape but that doesn't matter
1: i oh, guess amazing, what i'm by the way, that in, we're saying is the tape like i make Spotify. A tape you make your tape i'd have sure, to go find a tape deck to play it playlist
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like a tape. To you, if I were making it for you, it would yeah. feel like making it like a tape. tape for some reason. Uh God, there's so much I want to ask you about. I, I didn't get a satisfying enough answer about this, okay. which is I understand that's great that you sort of uh, don't feel bad about what you like. But I guess the 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 more The next layer of that question is how do you think you developed what is an incredibly refined palette for things, right? So that's a slightly different. So yes, part of it is exposure to a lot of things. I guess I'm asking, were you born that way or did that, right? Because there are things, right? Were you born that way? Because it is the kind of thing where somebody could not even like you. And they still would ask you Who for those like, questions, right? <laughs> but I'm saying you're, it's like not, um, it's not because we're friends. It's like you have, um, a skill the same way Michael Johnson is fast. Like you have an ability to know what's good and what's not good in lots of areas and why something's special and why, oh no. Like, you know, if I were like, you went to, if you went to a store and there were 17 bottle openers and one was more expensive, but one looked right, you would kind of know. So I'm just curious how you develop that faculty.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, I really don't know. I'd have to think about it. And
0: But you do know everybody asks you those things, right? People do
1: ask me. I think I I honestly, it's funny because in my experience of it, it's because I'm a busybody and I offer opinions where I'm not asked. So my experience (laughs) is not that I'm good at things. It's just that I really like get up up in people's fucking business. So I'm like, oh, you want to know about a hotel? Let me tell you 17 hotels. And also this is where you should eat and let me control everything in your life. Because it all comes down to the fact that I'm a control freak and want to control everything in the world. And don't enjoy... Okay, good. So this gets to where I wanted to
0: get to. (laughs) So you're a control freak and an artist and all this stuff and have a refined cultural palette and a very clear opinion and don't mind arguing about it, yet you've built this career now where you're a member of Mm -hmm. writing rooms and... It's the most blue collar job that there is. It's highly, Absolutely. it's an incredibly highly paid job. Yes. So it's a 99%, it's yes. a 1% job. Yes. But within the 1% thing, yes. being on a writing staff yes. is a blue, is the blue cop, most blue collar, one of these writing jobs. You are the jobs. third
1: guy on the bench in a medium NFL team who maybe goes and gets a, a pass once in a while. That's your job. You're not. Right. The and I've never
0: lived. I've been lucky enough never to yeah. live that. Right. I've always just, Dave and I've always just created our own yeah. stuff. I don't think I could, I actually not sure I could do it, but like, because of the need to sublimate your ego and pure artistic, like yes. your artistic, I think I would chafe against it very hard for me. How do you do it? Like, how well, do you think about the job? What are the good parts of it? What are the bad parts of it? If someone's thinking about a life as a writer, a lot of the time I talk about, hey, chase yeah. your dream. And I mean all that and yeah. work rigorously, but there are lots of different levels that that lands at lots of different ways to do it. How do you think about it?
1: Um, well i would say the key is to have a dad who' never approved of you and then <laughs> constantly need to seek his approval that is the only way well, to make it work no because the writers are, you mean because of the showrunner yeah. relationship You're, it's no and actually i'm i'm that is not my relationship with my boss at all um but it that i in a way part of my psychology is that i am look I'm not this isn't psychology 101 you know if, if your parents don't approve of what you do or my dad didn't approve of what i does not approve of what i do or doesn't really understand it or get it and withholds all approval then you will constantly be seeking approval and like any sure um person that seeks their parents approval you will put yourself in a dynamic where approval is given and not given so it's that's part of it but honestly why i like it i like making stuff i'm a very i'm like a i like the craft of making and talking and writing and also the fact that you get to write stuff that gets shot right away because i suffered through indie films so for me like the fact that everything that gets on the page is is going to be shot, and that it's our responsibility to not just come up with it, make it make sense, make it sound good, make it right, but also shoot it, edit it, finish it, put music on it, deliver it, go to the mix. I get to so that's when my you're, job. yeah. When
0: you're a producer on a show, yeah. your episode, you follow your episode the whole way through. And you- I'm
1: lucky enough in this particular on this particular show, I am an end to end producer on every episode, so I. I am in the writing. I am in the outlining. I am in the script. I am in the shooting, casting, music, post delivery. I'm at every mix. I, I have been blessed with a boss who has said, I want you to have all of my skills and has decided to give me all his skills. So I don't know. This is only my third job in television. My first job was with Amy Sherman Palladino. I was a staff writer. I was pregnant when she hired me, which is crazy. Um, I learned how to be in a room. I really learned how to be in a room and how to behave in a room and how to read the room and how to solve the problem of the room and not solve my own shit and, and say, what is the problem and how can I solve it? That all you do in a room is take the water that's handed to you and carry it. That's your entire job and everything else is ego, not, not necessary. Every writer in the room, that's your job. Everything else is production and that's important stuff and the writing and all of that. Then I was on a show that shall remain nameless, but you can look it up on IMDb. That was a terrible experience for me, and was tr- was was a truly terrible, sexist, horrible, the worst thing that's ever happened in my career. Honestly, I think even worse than the. Uh, I depressed and had to go to therapy. Just bad, 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 bad. Then I got this job, and Josh Saffron, who runs the show. Knew me as an independent filmmaker and actually knew my movie and wanted me there as a filmmaker. And so very quickly my job became end-to-end television production and the whole thing being in the room all the way to making the show and so for me right now I'm in show running school and I he knows this and I know this I'm in show running school. The next thing is mine I'm not I'm I'm here to learn how to do it from someone who does it with passion and grace and thoughtfulness and energy and who I happen to have the same taste as. So that's, for me, that's why I like this job right now. I, I'm the middle linebacker that wants to be a quarterback. I, I don't, I, I have no intention of.
0: And how do you manage the thing of um, the deadlines of television Doing the work every day when you have to write an episode, so much
1: fun. You don't, don't like it? I love it. No, I yes, I fucking l- love it. Um,
0: I think it's different when you're the creator of a show and the showrunner because yeah. it's all our vision. It's all, yeah. You know, Dave and I invented these, ca- these these the with Andrew. We invented these characters. We understand their psychology at a like um uh, yeah uh, at uh,
1: a slightly level. So the
0: adjust yes, and 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 also because of the eighteen hour a day job that we have, the adrenaline.
1: That's, the I uh, So I
0: get sick at the end of the season, no matter what, like I, I, the adrenaline c- drops out and I'm like, uh, wasted, completely wasted. Yeah. But for six months, I'm fueled on adrenaline, yes. but I get asked about writer's block all the time and about how people, so like, how do you, do you have a practice? Like, what's your practice of getting the work done? Do you have rituals? When do you write? How do you make sure My that own you, stuff
1: or the show? The show, the show I sh- just write because I have to. Yeah. What does that mean? Like literally, it's, you know, like the network is like, we need an outline and you turn in the outline and they're like, great, we need a script. And it's like, okay, I'm going to write this act and I have an hour and I'm going to write an act. Do you write in the home. office or do you write at home? I write it in the office because I have a kid at home and it's hard to write. And the only, the only two things I have is I, um, I have to shut my, well, it's a few things. I have to shut my door. I have to stand up. I stay. I stand when I write, I have to light a candle because I I'm, have like, I don't like smelling things and I subverbalize. So I have to, shut and what, my, what? I subverbalize. I talk out loud. Right. Um, I don't know how people do it without talking out loud because it's all meant to be said. So I have to hear it. And so I, and I used to not subverbalize and then I'd have to go back and reread it because I couldn't hear it. So I subverbalize and that's it. And I just, I write in
0: restaurants a lot. I don't subverbalize. Oh God. I have headphones on big headphones. You have big headphones. I edit
1: in, I edit my own stuff in restaurants. I edit in public because it's embarrassing. So I use the power of mortification in my own scripts.
0: Do you cut for yourself on a laptop? Oh, you edit your scripts. I not, edit my not, scripts. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. No, 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 I edit scripts. Like, So I I'd print you know, out a hard copy and, and I, I, read, a thing. Right. I read pencil. In so you just
0: stuff. are able to because the deadline just dive
1: in. That's why you're built I'm, to do I'm this fast. TV thing. I'm fast. I'm very fast. I'm not – outlining is my least favorite thing. I don't like writing outlines because I I nobody I, I likes resent writing it. outlines. I resent the me fuck too. I right,
0: because you're precious, like we all yeah. are, and your creative whims should be able like, to drive is the this thing. thing. And I agree. It's also An
1: outline is a sales tool in television. An outline is a way to tell the network what they're selling. A script is a script. So, but for me, I can write. I can write an act in ninety minutes. A decent act in ninety minutes at this point, maybe That's an hour. Insane. Um, I can yeah, I can write a script a day. If I had to, if I really had to, I mean, it'd hurt.
0: The best line about this was Scott Rosenberg's in the old days uh, when he was the most successful screen. I mean, he was, as a young person, the most successful screenwriter in in Hollywood. He's been on the podcast. But one of his things was he was like, if you're a true pro, you can write a script in the time it takes the average person to read one. Yeah. Which is uh,
1: just. No, no. It's, it's not true, by the it's way. It's not but, true, but awesome. and I also had an ex who said you should have to read a book the same with the same time in the same time that people wrote it, and mm-hmm. I was like, that doesn't seem like a good plan. I'd like read a word a day. Like, yeah. I, can't do, I need uh, instant. Yeah, unless you're reading Anthony Trollope, you exactly. have to, then, then you can <laughs> then just um, typing. Look,
0: I have uh, I have so I, many I'm more fine. questions for part two. We have to stop because we have to, we stop. Have to stop. But um, <laughs> we're going to do part two of this because I want to ask you all a bunch of questions about. Literally just about being a woman doing this and yes. and about mentorship and about the responsibilities you feel and about the the whole journey because even the casually tossed off things about, oh, I worked on the worst show and it was a horrible sex experience. It was like, horrible. The, you know, I, we didn't talk about the writer's rooms and yeah. sort of what they're like and, and, and uh, the male dominated culture that it's still other than uh, if you're in Shonda world that it still is. Hey, Beth actor! <laughs> where can people find you and follow you on Twitter and ask am, you what they should listen to or where? I'm or always watch.
1: the same. I'm Beth Shax, B E T H S H A X. Always. Shax. And everyone calls me Shax, which is why. I,
0: I was about Shax. to say Shax. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Um, really glad to have you on the show. Go back to your writer's room. And um, people follow Shax on Twitter and ask her questions, and she will steer you right. If you want to find me, I'm at Brian Compliment on Twitter. If you ask me what to wear, I will say fleece, so don't ask me. (laughs) See you next time.